Jeremiah chapter 2, please. Jeremiah chapter 2. I want to preach on probably one of my least favorite subjects. And it's probably one of your least favorite subjects as well. And that's on gratefulness. Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse number 1, we're just going just to read 1 through 7. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the first fruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness? through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. Uh, Brian, do you mind opening us up, please? Thank you. Amen. So look at verse number two here real quick, and we read it already, but I want to go over this just briefly. It says, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. God's God's talking about that that honeymoon phase there, when you first get saved. Can you, can you guys think back a little bit with me to when you first got saved? Man, every, every single thing changed in your life. The way you looked at every single thing changed. I mean, the, the way you got up in the morning, well, I mean, just hearing those birds sing, it, it meant something completely new to you. When you went to sleep at night, man, you were able to sleep peacefully knowing that when you die one day, you're going to heaven. 
That there's a certain joy about it when you first get saved. You're fired up. That that love for God is fresh, and and, and you just you all you want to do is spend time with Him. You're you're reading and you're praying. And you're you're diving into that book, man. You're you're listening to as much preaching as you possibly can, and and you're just soaking it up. And and the fact is, in verse number two here, God makes some correlations there to, I mean, it's kind of, he's kind of talking about a honeymoon phase, right? He's, he says, the kindness of your youth and the love of your espousals. So I, I don't know how many of you uh, know the story about how Lexi and I met, but um, I'm sure some of you have heard it, but I'm going to say it again, and hopefully I'll keep talking about it till the day I die. But I, I was going down on this missions trip to Mexico, and, and to be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't super positive on whether I wanted to go or not. I was considering backing out the day before. And of course, Pastor Mike calls me to encourage me to go. And I'm thinking, it's just like your mom and dad when you're growing up. It's like, man, how, how did you know? You know, the, when somebody's walking with the Lord, I mean, they just know. And so Pastor Mike called me and said, hey, look, I'm, I'm just so you know, I'd really like you to go on this trip. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course I'm going. You know, I'm not thinking of backing out at all. Um, and, and so I ended up going down, and, and it was definitely one of, one of the biggest blessings in my life, uh, well, simply because I ended up meeting Lexi. And, uh, you know, when I went down there, I didn't notice her at all on the first day that I was there. Matter of fact, I didn't notice her at all until the end of the second day. We were sitting at the dinner table. Uh, Pastor Mike was at the head of the table, or the foot of the table, whichever way you're looking at it. And I'm sitting right next to him, and he, he kicks me in the shin. It, like, quite hard, Pastor Mike can be an aggressive guy. He, he kicked me in the shin, and I, I look at him, like, at first I thought it was kind of a mistake, like, you know, he was just kind of moving his chair around or something, and, you know, it was kind of a smaller table, and I look at him, and I kind of look back down, and then he kicks me again. I'm like, okay, this is intentional. What's going on, man? And I look up, and, and he, he's looking at me, and he kind of, he, he nods up like that. And I'm, I'm going, what? And I look up, and of course, I don't see Leeksy yet. I'm, I'm looking around at everything. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he says, she's staring at you, man. He said, she's been staring at you all night. And at that point, I just kind of like, you know, I smirk and I just kind of set my head down. And, but then I sit back and, and I, I look up. And the, the rays of sun come down. And <laughs> no, no, but really, I, I noticed her and I was like, holy smokes, man. <laughs> I was, it was just her face. Her face was beautiful, all right? And, and man, I, I, it was that moment I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try to talk to her. I'm going to try to do this. I, I'm going to introduce myself, and I did. And, you know, the language barrier was kind of rough at first, but, but we kind of got past it, um, and we started talking. So we didn't talk much, though, honestly, because I was too afraid. I didn't have much courage. Um, but on the way home, I did talk to her brother. I said, hey... By the way, I think your sister's really pretty. And he's like, oh, yeah, she's really nice. You should talk to her. So I'm like, all right, I got an in, right? So, so I got home, and I started texting her and messaging her. And I was really upfront with her from the beginning. I said, look, I don't like the way people do dating nowadays. And it, it, it's, so, it's like you spend months or, or years getting to know somebody in, in a relationship just to finally figure out, oh, this isn't going to work. Like, I, I didn't want that. And so I was very direct and upfront with her. And I said, look, if I'm going to pursue this kind of, you know, a relationship, a friendship with you, I want it to be something that lasts. And she said, yeah, same with me. I was like, awesome, let's do this. And so, we, man, we started texting every single day. I mean, all day long we were texting each other. 
and, and things were exciting. And it, it wasn't even six months later, I went down and I proposed to her. Some would say maybe that's a little too soon, but I, I knew in my heart, look, the Lord, the Lord gave me something that I had been looking for. The Lord answered a prayer of mine. And that, that love that we had, that honeymoon period, you know, that, where everything's fresh and exciting, that, that excitement that you have. And, and God's comparing here, hey, back when I first met you, Christian, back, back when you first got saved, that's the way things were between you and God. Man, things were exciting and things were fresh. And, and, and you, you know, Leeksy and I, we did everything the, the correct way. We went about it the right way. And, and we, our motives were right because we were looking for somebody who loved God. And loved me. But you know, in, in Revelation chapter 2, God, talking to the, the church at Ephesus, he, he says, I have one thing against thee. See, the, the church at Ephesus, they were running around doing everything correct. They were going to church. They were reading the Bible. They were praying, fasting. They're, they're doing everything a Christian is supposed to do. But then he says, but you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. I don't, I don't know why some people might think that love is to, to grow cold as the years go by, but I don't think it's supposed to, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. In verse number 5 here, God shows us what happens when our love for Him grows cold. Verse number 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? See, 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 when our love for God grows cold, when that newness of that relationship that we have with Him wears off, we are accusing God of doing wrong by walking away from Him. I mean, think about it with me. If you woke up one morning and your spouse was just gone, I mean, bags packed, gone. I can think of really, really only two different things that you would probably think of. It's like, one, well, they, they obviously left for somebody better than me. Or two, the other thing you would think, well, you'd probably think, man, what, what was it that I did? What was it that I did to this person that would cause them to pack up and leave? And God's asking the same thing here. What iniquity have your fathers found in me? To, to, to cause you to run from me instead of to me. He, he's not being a, a smart aleck about this. He, he, he genuinely wants an answer. You know, when we sit down with God, though, to try to reason with Him, <laughs> well, we realize the problem's not Him. The problem's us. What, what is it, Christian, that we project to the other Christians around us or, or to the lost world or, or to God even? What is it we project to them when we, when we pick and choose where and when we're going to have a relationship with God? So, suppose we find ourselves in Israel's shoes here in this chapter and, and the Lord comes down and asks us, What iniquity have you found in me? Well, none, Lord, <laughs> right? Naturally, that's what we would say then why are you far from me? How far are you from the Lord this evening? Are you as close to the Lord as you'd like to be? As close to the Lord as you were when you first got saved? 
the, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, way back then? Are you as close to him now as you were back then? When you, when you were just a, a babe in Christ. See, it's easy to love your father when you're just a babe in Christ. I come home from work, which is just like a 50-foot walk from my garage, but I come home and I walk in the door and, you know, it is such a joy to, to, to see Livney run on over. You can hear the pitter-patter of the feet, right? It's such a joy to be able to, man, that, so we got a, the door there and then there's a baby gate, baby gate right there. And before I can even get to the baby gate, she's popping around the cor- corner saying, Daddy! Well, you know, it's easy for her to love me because, <laughs> man, she's dependent on me. I bring her food, buy her clothes. She's living in a warm house. Man, she has all her needs provided for her. And when you're in a babe for, when you are a babe for Christ, or in Christ, man, God does, does something in your life where, where he just takes care of everything. Everything you think could possibly go wrong. Like, it doesn't matter what goes wrong. It's just the Lord has a way of, of, of instilling that joy in you that, that man, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens. You're, you're just fired up and, and, and loving that relationship with Jesus Christ. But when you're grown, the test of your love becomes real. Do you love him? Or do you love yourself more? In verse number 5, as we saw, God, God tells us that they left their first love. And, and he's asking that question, why, like, why, what is it that I have done to cause you to leave? The reason for this is, is found in, in verse number 6. And it, look, it has nothing to do with what God did. The fact of the matter is it's the fault of the people. You can't blame God for you having a lack of a relationship with God. Verse number 6 here says, Neither said they. So this is something they didn't say. Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? They had forgotten where they had been. They had forgotten what it was the Lord did for them. They had forgotten that the Lord pulled them out of Egypt, a tight picture of the world. You know, I, I could preach on the, the pit there, the miry pit like Pastor Peacock did, right? But, but you know, in our actions that, that we have, in the actions that we do, I, I think oftentimes we, we give the impression that we don't really think that miry pit was so miry after all. You know what some of you think? Just statistically speaking, out of the number of people here, what some of you think, you think, man, I've been serving God for so long, I I can't really picture what it was like back then. Things have been going on for so long, the mundane routine, right? You're chugging along, and you can't really picture what life would have been like without Jesus Christ. Man, you, you look at your, your career and you think, man, your career would be the same even if you didn't have Jesus Christ. You see your family and you think, yeah, my family would probably be roughly the same if I didn't have Jesus Christ. We're, we are extremely disconnected in, from, from what it is the Lord's done in our life and from what He pulled us out of that, 
I think it's very difficult for us to really have a, a clear picture of what we would have been and if it wasn't for His grace. I'm telling you right now that that ungrateful attitude that the Israelites had causes God not to be real in your personal life. Israel is, is in a condition here, that this backslidden condition, we're going to preach more about it on, on Sunday morning, but they're in this condition because they forgot where it was God brought them out of. And, and we as Christians, I think sometimes we can get this attitude like we're almost like we're stuck serving the Lord, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, I had some, some plans that I wanted to do or I maybe would have otherwise had some plans if it wasn't for the Lord. There's stuff I want to get done. It's the same kind of mentality people have when they think about the rapture. Like, oh, no, no, not yet. Like, there's still stuff I want to do. You have no idea, Christian, where you would be without Jesus Christ. And really, you can think of the most depraved things possible, which I wouldn't suggest, but for sake of illustration, the most depraved things possible, and that could easily be you. Man, you could have been a school shooter without Jesus Christ. Man, you could have been a drug dealer out on the street. You could have been a woman of the night. You could have been, man, you could be in an insane asylum banging your head against the wall if it wasn't for God's intervention. I mean, you think of somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer, right? I mean, he not only killed people, but he ate people. And immediately you think to yourself, like, oh, no, 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 well, okay, come on now. <laughs> I would never do something like that. No, but the, the, the fact is, is that you did something way worse than that. You murdered the Lord Jesus Christ. You killed God Almighty. Don't ever think for a single second that anybody else is worse off than you are. God has done so much for us, and... To be honest, I think, uh, I think we should have a testimony service. Now, immediately, everybody's like, oh, okay, hold on. Um, let's see, I'm gonna, what am I going to say? Um, I'm thankful for uh, my family. I'm thankful for uh, this church. I'm thankful for Pastor Mike's preaching. That'll get me points with the pastor. Um, I'm thankful for... And, and you know what? I, I guarantee you that that testimony service with that kind of perspective, would last 30, 40, 50, maybe an hour max. And as that hour rolls by and everybody leaves, I would stand here with a heavy and burdened heart like Jeremiah, knowing that nothing got done in the hearts of the people. Because if we were honest with ourselves, a testimony service where we're truly praising God would go all night long. Man, a testimony service where we are really pouring our hearts out to God would last well past midnight. We are ungrateful as Christians because we've forgotten where the Lord has brought us out of. The, the difference between the, the fervent Christians of old and, and the Christians nowadays comes down to gratefulness. Forty years in the desert they wandered. Forty years in the desert they complained. 
griping and complaining. God killed these people for the murmuring that they did against him. For that ungratefulness. They were ungrateful that God had brought them out of 400 years of slavery. And I think it kills us spiritually as well because we are, man, we're ungrateful for, for, towards God for Him bringing us out of slavery as well, out of, out of the bondage of the devil. I mean, you get to the point where you can resent the fact that you're no longer under your old master. You say, no, not me. Yes, every single person, the, the Jews did it too. You, you want the onions and leeks back in Egypt. I believe God takes a look at us and He says, you know what, if you're not grateful for where I brought you from and for where you're at right now, what makes you think I'm going to do anything else for you? If you're not grateful for what I did on that cross, if you're not grateful for, for not burning in hell tonight, all you can, all you can do is, is gripe and complain about what would have, should have, or could have been. Uh, you know what, then church, go, go ahead and... and Play church, but I'm, I'm gone. And just like that, God is gone out of the majority of churches in this country. For something as simple as ungratefulness. The nation of Israel here is a great example of what happens when we're ungrateful. You know why God withdrew himself? It's because they were ungrateful. We're going to see it Sunday morning, but God's fixing to do the same thing with the, the church for the same reasons and go back to the Jew. Israel didn't appreciate what God had done, and man, all they were looking for was what God was going to do next. God, where's the manna? Where, where's the water? Where are the miracles? Man, there's, there's giants in this land. When are you going to kill them? Isn't it kind of tiring when you're always doing right? right? You're, day in and day out, you're always doing right, and you, nobody ever comes by your way and gives you a pat on the back, says, hey, good job, man. You know, keep it up. Hey, you're doing great. But, but man, in a, in a very hypocritical way, we treat God that way. Like, man, we want God to continue to perform whether we appreciate it or not. You get dried out. You do. That's why you're here, right? <laughs> you're looking for some living water from the Word of God. You get kind of grumpy and tired halfway through the week. I, I get it. I do. But your hearts ought to be so overwhelmed with the gratitude that's in your heart towards God that, man, sometimes you just got to shout it out. And I fear sometimes we, we care too much about what other people think, or perhaps even worse, the Lord isn't actually doing anything in our hearts. Look at verse 7 here. It says, And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. It's too much complaining. You say, no, 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 look, preacher, you got this all wrong. It's about the fornication. It's about the drunkenness. You know, all the lasciviousness, the, you know, just the sinful lifestyle, right? It's about all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't talk about, 
you know, things that actually pertain to my life, right? If you don't think gratefulness matters a whole lot, if you don't think the, 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 the sin that your tongue can produce matters, go, go read about it in the, in the New Testament, in the book of James, because there is a whole lot about it. That, that, that's, that's going to be one of the biggest things that affects Christians, not drunkenness and fornication. And not it, no, it's the lips. It's the tongue. Some of you guys are, are <laughs> now just bear with me, but some of you guys are absolutely going to hate heaven. You're like, what? <laughs> no, really, think about it. I mean, it's going to be perfect there. There's going to be literally nothing to complain about. You guys are going to get there, man. You're going to see, see loved ones that you've been waiting to see. You're, you're going to see lost family members who got saved after you long departed. That, man, man there, there's a, a, going to be a, you're going to have a perfect mind. You're going to have a perfect body. There's going to be absolutely nothing to complain about. And, and man, the, the way some of us Christians act, I, I think when we get there, we're, man, we're just going to be miserable. I'm supposed to, you know, put on a smile anyway, you know, be here in this life, because that's what somebody, you know, said to do. Oh, smile, cheer up, you know, but when, when you get to heaven, you're, <laughs> it's going to be natural, man. It's, it's going to just be flowing out of your heart, and yet here, it isn't. Why is that? Perhaps it's because we're ungrateful. Look at verse number 20 real quick, because there's a couple things that go along with this ungratefulness. It's not just ungratefulness, but with this ungratefulness also comes a dishonesty. And we see that in verse number 20. It says, For of old time I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bands, and thou saidst, I will not transgress. So Israel said, I will not transgress. And then God says, when upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest, playing the harlot. God called you a whore, and you think nothing of it. Verse 23 says the same thing. How canst thou say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. See thy way in the valley, know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dromedary traversing her ways. Dromedary is one of the faster species of camels. Going to and fro, man, and that's the world we live in. You've got places to be and people to see. You've got no time for church. You get here and you're thinking, okay, all right, set the clock, set the timer. It'll be Kelly's preaching, so hopefully it'll be over in 30 minutes. Man, you, you visit New York City like, like we have, and, and man, the people there, they're, they're hustling and bustling, they're going to and fro, and man, you bump into them, they don't even notice you. They literally don't even notice you, they just keep going. They got their, their, their headphones in, and they're staring at their phone, and they're just, man, they're like a drone, man. They're like sheep, they just keep walking, and, and you bump into them, and they just, they just keep going. God, God called Israel a harlot. He said, you're, you're way too busy. And busy not in the right things. We're not honest with each other. He, he says there in verse 23, how, how canst thou say I am not polluted? 
How can you say that? How can you say you're walking with God like you should be? I know I'm not. Why? Because I ain't in heaven. I'm not, I don't have a perfect body. I don't have a perfect mind. My God, I want one. But there's something else that goes along with not being honest to God. It's found in verse number 19. We lose the fear of God. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter, that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. We forget that sin has consequences. We forget that God judges sin. But the beautiful thing about the Lord, when you're dealing with conviction, when you're dealing with your sin, is that the Lord always has a way to provide grace in a time of need. The Lord always has a way of helping you out. Look at verse number 9 with me. So despite our backslidden state as a nation, as a county, as a local assembly, as individuals, despite not being honest before God at many times, and, and despite having no more fear of God, Verse number 9 there, God says, Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord. And look at this, you guys. Look, Even if you don't get right, even if you don't respond to God, he says, and with your children's children will I plead. So, all right, you go off, you do your own thing, but guess what? God's going to try to get a hold of your children. God's going to try to get a hold of your children's children. He saved you for one reason. You say, oh, to, to get rid of my sin, right? No, it, it goes beyond that. See, God can't have fellowship with somebody who has sin. That's the key right there, is that God saved you because He wants to have fellowship with you. He, he wants to spend time with you. He didn't make you to, to chastise you or to rebuke you or to tear you up. This isn't about trying to fashion you in, into something that you don't want to be. The, the creator of the universe created you because he wants to spend time with you, but not just a few minutes in the morning. He doesn't want to just come by and walk with you in the cool of the day, in the cool of the morning there for 10 minutes in the, in the morning and 10 minutes at night. No, he wants to spend an eternity with you. He wants to spend forever with you. The only one capable of loving you forever says to you, I want to love you forever. I'm pleading with you. Verse 11 here. We've replaced God's glory with the glory of other things. It says, Hath a nation changed their gods? which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. 
And as we go about our lives, man, we, we are so focused on so many other things. I, I forget what the, the reference is, but there's a verse here. I, I believe it's in this passage. Maybe it's chapter 8, because I'll be in there on, on Sunday morning. But he mentions them turning to, to stones for idols. And we wouldn't do something as crazy as that. We wouldn't bow down our heads to something like a, a stone. But man, we, we sure do bow down our heads to a lot of other things. They might have worshipped stones, but man, I think we worship glass and plastic. We've forsaken the glory of God. Verse 18 shows that they went the way of Egypt, drinking waters from a bad well. Look at verse 18. And now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt, to drink the waters of Seor? And what hast thou to do in the way of Assyria, to drink the waters of the river? Waters of a bad well in Assyria. That's the way of the devil. God's getting onto Israel's case pretty hard. And and man, they inherit a a physical, earthly kingdom. And we get the better part. We we get the spiritual kingdom. We get the new Jerusalem. We get everything that uh, applies to to that and, and the right to rule and reign with Him. And the Lord gets on Israel's case. How how do you think we're going to escape? I mean, I I don't know if it makes God angry, to be honest. I I think God's long past angry with Christians. I think think He's on His throne and He thinks to Himself, I don't get it. I don't get it. Look at verse 12. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. Man, the, the nation of Israel turned against God, and man, man, they don't they don't get anything near what we get. I mean, the, these people down here, they get salvation by grace through faith. They didn't have to, to work to get it, they don't have to work to keep it. They, they don't got to do animal sacrifices. I went, I went and I died for them. Can you believe that these people aren't grateful for what I've done? Be ye astonished. Heavens. The problem is ungratefulness. You know, when, uh, when, when Livni was born, and I... And we're going to wrap up here soon, but when Livni was born, I, I, don't, I don't know how many people know this. I don't think I talked about it much to, to many people, and if I did, I don't know if I, I really went into depth, but I was there in, in the room with, with Leeksy and, you know, smack dab in the middle of the pandemic, and uh, we had issues, we... <laughs> She had issues with the delivery, and uh, we finally got to the point where it was time to deliver, and we're like, all right, let's do this, and she delivers the baby, and, and, and they gave me the, the privilege of cutting the umbilical cord, so I was like, sweet, yeah, let's do this, and, uh, and I, I cut the umbilical cord, and 
I don't really know what standard practice is in the hospital, but she, she, Livni, Livni wasn't breathing yet on her own up to that point. She had just been delivered. I don't know how much time went by because everything was a blur. Um, but I cut the umbilical cord, and, and I don't know if it was a minute or two minutes or, or 20 seconds, uh, 10 seconds, I don't know, but... The, the color of Livni's skin began to change, and it, it didn't get rosy pink. <laughs> it started to get more pale. And, and it got to the point, you know, I, I kept standing there thinking, okay, doctors know what they're doing, doctors know what they're doing. Um, but it got to the point where I had to speak up and I say, hey, I, is she even breathing? And the doctors kind of looked at me and looked at her and were like, like oh, <laughs> I guess not. And they start, start rubbing her and try to get her breathing. Because in my mind, look, I, I had never had a, a, a child with anybody before. And, and so I didn't really know how this whole thing goes. I'm just along for the ride. And, and uh, I thought, you know, the baby gets born and you smack it on the butt. So it starts screaming and hollering and, and breathing, right? And... But they didn't do that, and Livni was just laying there, and man, man, you can understand my nerves at that moment. And they start trying to trying to get her to breathe on her own, and, and she's not, and so they they start trying to suck all the stuff out of her her airway, which I would have assumed you'd do immediately, and and so I'm getting frustrated, and 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 I'm thinking, what's going on? But I'm not a doctor, I'm just watching them, like, and I'm praying, Lord, please. Lord, Lord, please. And you, you hear a little... <gasps> and she starts moving a little bit. And they keep rubbing her, and they keep wiping her off, and... And she starts crying a little bit, and you, you start to see a couple tears running down the baby's face, and what's wiping away all the all the gunk. And, and 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 you know what what your reaction would be if you were there with me? You'd be like, "Oh well." No, <laughs> come on, preacher, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't do that. No, but you, Christian, were far past the point of a physical death. When Jesus Christ let out his last breath on that cross and gave you eternal life, he breathed into you the breath of life. And yet that's, that's the way we treat our walk with him. That's the way we treat this new birth. It's like, eh, whatever. Thanks, God, but I got... I got stuff to do. Appreciate the, the fire insurance. You know, I'll see you when I get there. I mean, are, are you telling me that that night, if you were standing in my shoes, you wouldn't have gone over to Livni just, just, to, just to check to see if, just to check to see if that little chest was rising up and down. Are you telling me that, that you wouldn't spend day in and day out, months after you are, you've been to the hospital, going over to her in her crib and just, just putting your finger by her nose just to make sure that warm air is coming out? 
to continually check on her because that new birth was something that is important to you, something that is tender, something that you love. It's the wrong time to get to heaven, Christian, and then look back and say, wow, man, I, I might, might not even have been here. But I sure am grateful. <laughs> the Lord comes by your way and says, yeah, but everybody up here is grateful. It's perfect up here. There's nothing to complain about. Life is perfect. Everyone is happy. Everyone is grateful that they're here. Everyone is happy that they're here. No, because the the time to be grateful is not when you're on your deathbed. It's in the here and now. To, man, to, to, to stand there in heaven and to, to look back and, and realize you missed your chance to really bring God glory for something personal and unique. Time for gratefulness is in the here and now, Christian. To be grateful for what He has done for us. Troubles and trials ahead, for sure. In trouble right now. Absolutely. No question. Divorce and death and, and sickness, disease and you know, hospital beds and, and the morgue, it, it's coming for every single one of us. But you can always look back on what God has done and be thankful. To look back on where He brought you from and even better, to look forward and see where you're headed. The Lord wants to hear that from us more, Christian. Let's pray. I'd like to have an invitation tonight as well. Um, so as I'm praying, if you'd like to come forward, Brian's going to play on the piano here. And...